0: Welcome to When Ghosts Speak with Melissa and Mary Well,
1: hello, everybody. Thank you for coming in for another episode, this time part two of a, a pretty, not fun, true life experience that you had to go through, Marianne.
0: Yeah, not everyone is run of the mill. Sometimes they, they can be de- really depressing like this. I, I, seriously. Um, a little recap. She did die. And um, she was so scared. And I asked her, after you died, did you leave the room? Oh, no, Stella said. He said he would break my legs if I tried. Just like I believed him when he said he would stick the big knife he showed me down my throat if I ever screamed. And he laughed and he said, and once that happens you will not even be able to talk again. She said, so I always stayed very, very, very quiet. And she said, when he would wash me, he used the hooks too, so that I wouldn't move and try to get away from him. And then it got just easier just to stand there and do nothing she says because I was so afraid that that he would hurt me and I couldn't my shoulders and my wrists would hurt so bad I was afraid if I did anything wrong to make him angry that he would keep me strung up like that even longer she said so I I just let him do what he wanted to do Glenn asked Me to ask her, were your feet on the floor? And Stella said, yes, but I had to stand real straight. Otherwise, it would just pull my shoulders all the more, she said. And it was hard when I was really, really tired to keep standing. But she said, the nights were the longest when I had to stand like that. Glenn said, how old were you when you died? She said, well, Mr. Clarence brought me here. I was 23. And after the third or the fourth winter, I couldn't think. I, I, I would get confused a lot. And, but I don't think I ever made it to 30. Now, remember, when you die and you don't go to the light, you stay the same age. So Stella was actually still 23 years old. She looked like she was 50. That's how bad uh, this, what it did to her. I said, Stella, after you died, why did you still stay up here? And she said, her eyes got really big. And she said, I was scared. After the first winter, after I died, I slowly went down the steps. I was so scared and I was so quiet because I didn't know where Mr. Clarence was. And when I tried to open the door, she said, my hand went right through it. And I thought, yeah, you're right. Your hand did go through it because you're an earthbound spirit now and you can just walk right through the door. And she said, but I ran back up the steps. I was so scared when I was strong enough. And sometimes I felt stronger than other times. She said, when I was strong enough, and I have to guess that was like the week before a full moon, maybe, where she got more energy from that moon phase. And she said, I would drag the horse blanket over my body. My body was rotting and in the summer, there were a lot of flies, she said, and it did not smell good up here. And she said, I don't know how long before I went through the locked door. I was so confused. All the cloth and the thread and the machines, no people. I ran back up to my room. I thought, where did they all go? Did Mr. Clarence do something with all those people? What happened to them? Then it was some time and I went down again. It was a long time later. And when I was in that empty room, I looked out the window. And my eyes heard from the light. She said, and I didn't see any horses. I saw these machines that were making noise. Obviously, she was talking about cars and she said it didn't look the way it looked when I lived there. I, I don't know what happened. And she said, but then I saw this other door and I opened it and there were more steps. I said, you actually opened that door? She said, no, no. I just walked right through it. She says, and it didn't hurt. She said, I I don't know how I could do that. And I, she says, and I slowly went down those steps and it was a big room. No people, no pretty cloth, no thread. Nobody was here but me. And when I looked out the window, I still didn't know what I was looking at. She said, and how the people were dressed. She said, "I could never dress like that when I was alive." She said, "And their hair." She said, "I," she says, "I didn't." I ran back up into my room. She says, "I stayed there for the longest time. I didn't know what was going on." And she says, "And when I was up there," she says, "Then it dawned on me that there were three floors here, and that's why I never heard anybody when I was alive." They were down low. They weren't up high. And I said, okay. I said, then what happened? She said, well, I started hearing a lot of noise downstairs. Not on the floor level, but up under the attic. And she says, and I would peek down there. She said, and there were people there. And they were building a room. And they were putting in water. And she said, I, those rooms had these things in them. And she says, I didn't even know what they were. She says, they were chamber pots that made noise. Well, they would put toilets in and she had never seen a toilet. And she said, there was a sink. And then there was a stove, she says, that didn't use wood. And there was a big box that kept everything cold. You know, 1900, 1910? Did they have any of that stuff back then? Ice boxes, maybe? I don't know. But this just fascinated her. And she said, and then people would come and stay there and live there. She says, and I would go downstairs, they would watch pictures that were talking on a box. And I didn't know what that was. They were moving. She says, I found out later that they called that a TV. She says, because the man that was here, that was like me, broke it. And they had a fight over who broke the TV, she said. So I think that's what that box was called. You know, she had to be so confused. And, and I would be so depressed. I don't know. And so she said over the years she knew that there were different businesses down on the level where the street was. She says there were offices and there were people and they would use machines so they didn't have to write. And she says, and then the machines even got bigger And stuff would come up, papers would come out of machines. You know, trying to explain what she had no idea of what she was looking at. And she said, I I just felt so weepy all the time. I would go up downstairs and then I would be better and I would feel better for a while. Well, of course. She was around people and she was getting more energy. Earthbound spirits need human people to keep going. When nobody was ever in the building, she was weak all the time and she couldn't do anything. But when she went around people, she felt better, even though it bothered her that they couldn't see her or they couldn't talk to her. She says, I just wish they could hear me. She says, and then it would be empty again. And I said, when did someone finally find your body? She said, I don't know, maybe four winters after I died. She said when the solicitor solicitor's workers came in after the tailor shop were gone. I think solicitors were called I think those were attorneys back in the day. I think. And she said when these people came in they went through the whole building. And they did come up into the attic because they thought that there were dead animals up there. She said, and that's when they found my body. And she said, it was not, she's just, she she couldn't even describe how bad it looked. She says, I just, it wasn't me. I just don't, it just didn't even look like me. She said, And they had no idea who I was. There was no, not known, my name was nowhere. They had no idea. And they just decided that I was a homeless person that went into a vacant building and went up into the attic and died. I said, they never saw the hooks or the the, the circles, those things in the ceiling. I says, they never found that box. She, She said, they never looked. They got a couple men to come up with a bag, and they put my body in a bag, and they took me downstairs. She said, it was very hot when they found me, and it was very hot up there, and it smelled really bad. She says there were a lot of flies. She says, I think all they wanted to do was get out of there. And I said, what did they do with you? She said, I don't know what they did. My parents were dead. No one knew I was missing. And she said, I heard the one say, well, this one will go to Potter's Field. And as we know, a Potter's Field is where they put indigents and people that had no other place to go. At least back then, I don't even know for sure if they cremated people back then. So she said, I wish that they would put me by my parents. But they didn't know who my parents were because they didn't know who I was. And she says, I, I just wish that they did. And she said, I want to see my mom and dad so bad. And she looked at me. She says, will I ever see them again? I said, yes. I said, let me ask you something. I said, when you died and you looked down and saw your body, I said, wasn't there a bright light? She goes, oh, yes. Yes. It was so bright, it hurt my eyes. She said, I couldn't look at it. She says, I was afraid that if I went in there, that something terrible would happen to me. I said, didn't you look in the light? She says, no, I kept my eyes closed. I didn't want to see anything in that light. And she said, please, she says, I just kept saying, God, please take it away, take it away, take it away. She says, and finally the light was gone. So again. That was something I learned because I thought the only way the light would go would be after the final memorial service. But apparently I was wrong. I guess if you ask hard enough, the light, you can ask it to go. Glenn, the detective questions, he said, Mr. Clarence, where he lived, do you know what the address was? She said, no. But I know it was exactly eight houses down. And she pointed in the direction that was his house. And the house was actually still there. And Glenn said, That big house. And she said, Oh, yes. She says, It took three of us to clean it. The house was actually still there. I said, Stella, I'm so sorry this happened to you, but times were different then. You you've been, I said, you've been dead for like 90 years. I said, you've been in this house for almost 90 years. You never left this building. She said, no, I was afraid. She says, I was afraid Mr. Clarence would catch me and and do terrible things to me. I said, what did you do up here all these hours when you were still alive? She said, well. She said, Mr. Clarence brought me some books. And she said, I love to crochet. My mother taught me how to do handiwork. Samplers, I think she said. So, and I figured with, she thought with all those needles and everything downstairs, he would give her that. He actually did. He brought her yarn and a crochet hook and thread and that kind of stuff. But she said, but, Every time he would come up, I would have to have the needles and the crochet hook stuck way far away from me. And then he would walk over and pick them up so that I didn't have them in my hand when he was close to me. I said, oh, I said, would you have tried to stab him with them? She goes, no. She says, but I think he thought I would. And she said, And then he brought me some colored pencils and I drew. And she says, and look at the wood on the walls. And Glenn and I walked over with the flashlight. And here she had made scratches on the walls into designs. Actually, they were pretty. But it's hard for me to believe that nobody ever noticed this this stuff. And She smiled and she said, you know, when I was a little girl, I was afraid of spirits. She says, and then I turned into one. She said, I don't understand. But she said, I have to tell you, I'm never hungry. Nothing hurts. And she said, look, even my foot looks okay now. And again, keep this in mind. The body is what is mangled, missing parts and pieces. The spirit is always whole. She was, the spirit was still, she was like a skeleton. She was so skinny. But her foot was fine and her toes were fine. I said, Glenn said, when you were alive, she said, he said, You never, ever once tried to escape. She said, no, 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 no. I knew that Mr. Clarence would do that, that he would hurt me. And I said, okay. I said, I asked her if she would like to see her mother and father. And she said, yes. And I said, I'll make that bright white that you didn't like, but you're going to have to walk into it to see your mom and dad. She looked at me and she said, you are the only one I have talked to since I died. She said, I believe you. And she said, I'll be scared, but I'll go. After that, Glenn asked her a lot of police questions. Anything she could answer, she would. Addresses, if she knew Clarence's whole name, I thought that Mr. Clarence was probably his last name, but it turned out Clarence was his first name. And so she actually went into the light and Harry and Elaine never had any trouble after that. The Quincy's were up. Glenn called me about three weeks after this all happened. And he found out about Mr. Clarence, the addresses, everything was correct. Glenn could never find any report of any young woman missing. So they just assumed she was a homeless person, a bum, whatever, and they just buried her in Potter's Field. And he said there was only one little note about a body being found in the attic at The building and this whole thing bothered me for a long time it's hard it's hard to believe that somebody could just go missing like that and nobody even care and Stella was one of the few earthbound spirits that I crossed over that actually came back to me in a dream She looks so pretty. She was so happy. She was with her mom and dad. And she said that her mother and father were so happy that she was still young. They never realized or knew what happened. And She said, and that detective, that Glenn detective, she said, mom and dad told me where they were buried. And we went to look at their headstones at that cemetery, she said. And there was a little plaque on mom's and dad's headstone that had my name, the dates that I was found. She said, so I guess in a way I was buried with my mother and father. And I thought, duck on it. So I called Glenn and I said, Did you put a plaque on Stella's mother and father's grave? He said, Yes, I did. He said, Who told you? And I said, Stella. And he said, No way. And I said, Yeah. I said, Why? How? I don't. He said, You know, I felt so bad for her being in Potter's Field but they never put an ID number with her. He said, I walked through that field how many times hoping to find something of where she was at. He said, I couldn't find it. He said, so I just had, it wasn't big. He says, just a little plaque put down. He said, and I just hope that it would make her feel better. I said, well, it worked. You absolutely made her feel better. I said, I felt the need, he said, I felt the need to help her somehow, he says, because everybody failed her when she died, he said, and I know it was a different time, he said, but somebody should have known that there was something wrong, and I said, you're right, so it was happy at the end because she was with her mom and dad, but it was terrible what she had to go through. And for those of you that remember the three girls that were captured in Cleveland and held for 10 years, I kept thinking of that. I kept thinking of Stella when I heard about those girls being missing. And I thought, are they captured somewhere? Are they being held a prisoner somewhere? Now they probably killed them. Well, they were being held captive, just like Stella. So it still goes on, even in modern times. So this, this is the end of the second
1: part. Well, I'm glad there was somewhat of a happy ending after all of that for her. I mean, pretty pretty traumatic. Um, the... the the things that were in that box
0: and the chains and the ropes and I I don't know. I, I I'm surprised and that being alone that she didn't try to kill herself to stop it all.
1: Well, I would have tried stabbing him. <laughs> I would have been waiting at that door. When he came in, or as close, you know, like I would have tried something. So I'm like, if I'm going to die, I'm going out trying. But that's me. I-
0: well, she had the chains around her ankles the whole time. She could that's only great. go so far. That's why she had to put her needles and her crochet hooks far enough away from her so that he was afraid she would try something like that. And as he would- should be, <laughs> and he took them and he moved them, and then he. Actually, she said he would never hand them to me. He would throw them at me when he left me. Toss so, them yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. What an ass! I know, I know. But it, it's sad. Like I said, it's um, I don't know. I, and you wonder over the years, and that—that's Midwest, the United States. What happens in? Bad places. This was a good
1: neighborhood. You know? It's, it's why it's easier to kind of hide, right? Nobody expects that. Um, I think so. Well, thank you for listening, everybody, and hanging in there, hopefully for both parts. Um, join us live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on all of the social medias. YouTube, uh, Marianne Winkowski, um, or Goddess Elite. Uh, Twitch, Goddess Elite, LLC. Um, Discuss this. Let us know what you thought. Uh, Sometimes these discussions help spur on some of the episodes. It helps jog Marianne's memory and says, oh, I've got a story for that. But uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week.
0: Thanks for tuning in to When Ghosts Speak. Remember, no part of the podcast can be used, shared, or rebroadcast without the written consent of Marianne Winkowski and Melissa Wiles. Join us again soon. Goodbye.